Morning, guys. I was as worried as you for a moment there um, when he talked about a men's camp and that he met me there because it's typically not, it's not always the kind of stories that you want people to, to know about. Um, so I was, a, I was a little bit nervous, I'll be honest. So it's, it's really great to be with you this morning. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's just a, such a, usually this time of the year, we have to go through this process of forgetting, uh, separating ourselves from the year, and in a sense, desecularizing ourselves, because it's, it's typically the time of the year where we're so tired and we've been so into work and things have been so intense that we, we need to sort of find a time to prepare ourselves to receive what the message of Christmas. And so that's what Advent is all about. It's almost like Advent is, is, is to Christmas what Lent is to, to Easter. And so we do that every year. Um, and I think it's an important thing that we do because I think it's probably, probably the Christmas, Christmas is probably the, the Christian event on the calendar that has been secularized the most, I would say. And I think to a large degree, there's a lot of work that we need to do to remind ourselves what Christmas is really all about. Not only when we are small and receive that gift and our parents need to tell us this is not what it's all about. I think it's something that we also have to go through every year. But I think even more so this year. This year has been different from any other year that I think most of us have ever experienced. This morning as I was bringing, taking my flash drive out of my computer to bring the preach here, I, I was thinking, remember caring about safely removing a flash drive? I was like, the world has changed. I don't care about that anymore. This year we had to care about stuff like how far a sneeze travels, for instance. Um, so it's also been an, a very challenging year from that front. So, but I, I want to tell you this morning that I know that all of us are fatigued, and I think we're at that place where you're, always, you're also a little bit fatigued from people motivating you. I always think of the story that Lizette tells when um, they were on a hiking trail and her dad wasn't very fit, and the kids like, motivated him, and they're all sort of in student years, and... Um, He's going on this hiking trail with him, and he was tired, and he was carrying his bag, and they kept on walking behind him. Come on, Dad, you can do this. Come on, Dad, come on. Go, 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 Dad, go. And at some point, he just turns around, and he says, stop motivating me. <laughs> there was a bit more colorful Afrikaans language in there. But the point is, I think we're all fatigued. We, we're tired. We don't want fluffy, motivational stuff. I think we've, we've seen that also that grows thin after some time. So... I'm hoping that this morning that I can give us a bit more than that, and that the scriptures can give us a bit more than that. And so this morning, we go, continue from last week's discussion, where, we, where Heather preached so well and talked about the, the gift of waiting. And this morning, we are going to talk about um, the, gift that the, world, the, the gift that the world did not want, or the gift that the world didn't ask for. And so um, this morning, we are going to, I think, Look at something that is very helpful for us in this time. This, this year is unexpected. This year is different. And I think the way that Christmas comes, the fact that it's so different, helps us to understand our place in this year and how we are to look at Christ and lift our gaze. So I'm going to ask my wife, Lizette, to, to read the scripture for us quickly. It's um, in Luke 2, verse 8 to 20. So you can t turn there in your Bibles. Okay. So, the shepherds and the angels. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the unique and glorious message that is your coming to us. And Lord, I pray that that you would lift our hearts to you this morning, Lord. I pray that you would show us something of the humble and glorious God that you are. And Lord, I just pray that you would come and work in our hearts and engrave something of your person in us today. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, C.S. Lewis talks about the Incarnation, and he says, it's the central miracle that Christians assert. By, 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 by that he means that miracle opens the, the doors to all the other um, glorious things that happens in the Bible. All the, it, the gospel starts with the Incarnation, Christ being sent sent to the world. And he says that he, he was actually a theist if he looks back at his, his, um, his journey with God, he, was, he vaguely believed that there was a God, but at some point he realized he has to believe that Christ actually came to earth. He has to believe that he, he died. He has to believe that he rose again, and that is what would make him a Christ follower. And so essentially, he, he recognized that he, he, he had to take that step. It, it is not a vague belief in God that would save him. It's a belief in, belief in the actual work, the, the, the birth, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that would lead him to a place where he would actually call himself a Christ follower. Now, I know that these things, sometimes when I read scriptures like this, and it's angels, and it's, it's, it's all these miraculous things, I think it is tricky to really believe in it. And I, I was speaking to someone earlier this year, and he asked me, isn't it sometimes difficult for you to have faith, especially in a year like this? And I said to the guy, it is difficult, but if I look, the deeper I look into the, the story of Jesus and who Jesus was, yes, it's difficult to believe, but it, it becomes impossible not to believe it. Because of the effect that it has on us, because of the hope that it gives us, it is impossible. At some point, you still, on a rational level, think, oh my goodness, this is incredible, how do I wrap my mind around it? But because of the hope that it gives you, it's almost impossible. It becomes impossible not to believe it. And so this scripture paints a very interesting picture for us of who God is, of who Christ is. There's, we see pictures of a very humble setting of shepherds and Jesus being born in a, in a feeding trial. But we also see angels appearing to, to the shepherds. So it's this glorious picture of a humble and, and holy and glorious God all wrapped together. And it's such, a, it's such an amazing picture, but as you would have picked up from the title of today's message, this was not the gift 
that the world wanted. It is not the gift that, we, that was expected. Because we said last week that there was such a long period that the people were waiting for their Savior, and eventually when he arrived, it was very different to what they expected. What was different? The, the first thing that was different was Jesus, uh, the, the message of Christ's birth came to shepherds first. Now, I think we, it's, it's a little bit le- less of a reality for us city slickers what a shepherd actually is, because I think we're a bit, the farming life is slightly removed from our real, reality in today's times, maybe less so for South Africans. Most of us know people on farms and stuff. But I think a shepherd at that time had a very unique place in society. They were not allowed to give testimony in, in a court, for example. They were not regarded as the most reliable witnesses. And it, I, I immediately think of the resurrection of Jesus, the message going to Mary Magdalene first, who was a lady, and she was also not allowed to give testimony at that time. So it's interesting, the people that are given the first message in, in, in the Bible in these big events are typically not the kind of people that you would expect. And, yeah, the, the, the fact that it goes to shepherds is, is very interesting. Also, the place where Jesus is born, it's a very little, un, it's, it's almost like the Ochivarongo of Israel. Ochivarongo is the little town where I was born. People always tell me, oh, yeah, we've driven through there once. So I think Bethlehem was a we've driven through there once kind of town. So it is not the kind of place where you expect the most influential person ever. And I think there would be, even secular historians would not really argue with you that there's very few people that impacted the world as much as Jesus. For him to be born in a town like that is incredible. And so we see who the message went to, where he was born. All of that is is interesting, but also the, the way that it, who his parents were. He was born to a, a virgin mother. And, and it, it all becomes so un, un, unusual and so not what was expected. But it points us to the fact that, and I think it, prepare, it prepares people to an extent that the very person of Christ that arrives on earth is not what was expected. People expected this Savior that would come and emancipate Israel politically from the Roman rule, and they expected this guy who would come in and like lead with might and with glory, and then the Savior is born in a, in a crypt. And it's, it's interesting, but it tells us also that not only how Jesus was born is, is unexpected and different to what was, what, what was waited for and that what people were sort of hoping for at that time, the reason why he was born is also unexpected. He was born to die. He was born to come and emancipate us from sin. He showed what the most important problem in the world was not being under political rule of people that are immoral and oppressive. The biggest problem is our sin. So he came to show us what the biggest problem is, but he also came to, to show us that that act of liberating us from sin is not a, it's not a behavior modification program. It lifts us. It lifts us up from a state where, as Martin Luther said, sin is man curved in on himself. It's the, it's the soul curved in on itself. Christ comes and he shows us sacrificial love. He shows us the nature of God, the fact that God is a, is a being that is known for loving the other. So he, turn, he comes and he turns sin completely on its head. And I think that's incredible, but I think based on the response that we see in the Bible, 
the, 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 the way that people were responding to, to Christ was not always in awe. We see the full picture. We have the, have the benefit of a full word that people died for to give it to us in English so that we can read it and understand the full gospel. We have that benefit. But these guys didn't have that. But I still think that even with the benefit of the full Bible, we, we can sometimes miss the fact that we have to pre- prepare our hearts to receive Christ for who He really is. Because... He does not only come to these people as gentle and lowly. He comes to us in that state as well. Um, Vessel was reading that scripture earlier where Christ says, um, he refers to himself in one of the very few scriptures in the Bible where he says something about the person that he is. Where he says that himself. And he says, I'm gentle and humble of heart. Some, some translations say, I'm gentle and lowly. Now, we don't always want a savior like that but obviously we see that there's more to that christ is always also the glorious god but why does he come to us as gentle and lowly because i think he it it recognizes the fact that he doesn't come the fact that he doesn't come to us in a great state this year we are we we at least know that we are in trouble emotionally we know that we are not enough we know that this world is not as great as we thought it was. But in our moments of disillusionment, we are actually a little bit more rooted in reality, I think. I've seen in most times in my life when I've gone through a difficult time, it's easier to put my hope in Christ because I have no other option. But the problem that we have is the gospel paints us into a little bit of a corner because we say that I'm insufficient to, give me, to, to sort of generate my own joy and find meaning in myself. Everything else is insufficient. Only Christ is sufficient. So we paint ourselves into that corner. But then, when life really, really becomes difficult, we are there now, and we're like, I've said that I can't place my hope in this other stuff. Now it really becomes tricky. I can't say to people there's hope outside of Christ when I've said already that He's my only hope. So we need to, try, we, we need to stop trying finding ways to find hope in things that we've when we start, started believing in Christ, we said, these things are not helpful in generating joy in me. These things are not helpful in saving me. These things are not helpful in taking me forward. So now we, we realize, oh my goodness, this life is very tricky. So Lizette's um, uncle recently at a, at a grandmother's funeral, he was saying that at a funeral it's very tricky not to look at the reality that if it's true what the Bible says, that Jesus was born and rose again, then this is nothing. This does not matter. If it's not true, everything is meaningless. He was, we, we were thinking about her grandmother's life and the fact that she was growing up in post-World War II Holland and that she, they were so starved as a family that they all lost their teeth and it was just a very tricky life. They came to South Africa as missionaries and then she dies in her 80s after having spent the last years of her life in an old age home. So either the message of Christ is true and her life has a lot of meaning, or it's not true and there's no meaning in, 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 in everything that she went through. But it's easy to look at that story in a year like this and say, yes, if, if there's no Christ, God, then life is meaningless. But I think the danger is that we think that if things can just turn back to normal, there's meaning in that. There's meaning in 
in, in life, you know, the normal life, if I can go, just go to work, if I can just see my friends, if I can just do this or that. But the problem is, as the Ecclesiastes tells us, under the sun, and what that means is everything that happens here, in the here and now, the mortal life, all of it's meaningless. It is a meaningless thing to exist unless we find a way to lift our gaze. And so that's the tricky part that this year puts us in, the tricky position. We are not, we, we are in a corner. We have, most of us this year, like Carl Jung said, we face, we, we've sort of discovered our shadow or we met our shadow. And the moment we do that and we meet this private persona, it's not always great. If you get, if you face with yourself that private persona of who you really are when no one's looking, that's not always great to, to, to be introduced to that person. So the, the gospel goes much deeper than just making us feel better about ourselves. It even redeems that shadow. And so this morning as we look at, at, at the message of Christmas, it really comes to, to us in that state. So as I was saying, we need to prepare our hearts to receive Christ for who he really is. And my, my, my idea of telling you that the world is meaningless and your shadow is terrible and everything is dark was not to say, to this thing, oh, can I kick them a little bit more? But I think we shouldn't, we shouldn't feed ourselves all sorts of fluffy things that says, oh, it's, you know what, life's actually okay. You, you can get through this. You know what, there'll be a vaccine next year. Then all of this will be over. The reality is that life is tragic, but the gospel speaks directly into that reality. We get to be rooted in the reality that this life is tricky at times, but we stand with our feet in that reality, but, and then we lift our gaze towards the, the God who saved us. So, how do we prepare ourselves for, for receiving Christ as He truly is? The first thing is, we need to Stop looking for the praises of other people. Stop living for that. I think this year, if you look online, we've, we've had a more of an online life than ever before. and it, It's been easier than ever before to conjure up some avatar of yourself, which is your social media profile, and try to do all sorts of interesting things, and then people praise you, and it's like, oh, there's a bit of validation that comes from that. But the problem with living for other people's praises is that people either not praise you in the way that you think, or they will praise you, but they will start loving your mask. They will start loving this, this outer persona that you try and present to them. And the, the, the problem is that you know that that's actually, they are praising something that you're not. If you live for people's praises, you'll eventually, your, your public and your private persona will, will start doing this. You'll be some, someone to people and then on your own, you'll be someone else. And something in you will know that all these praises that people are giving you, it's actually false because it's not actually who you are. So we get to take our minds away from that this time of the year. We get to step away from this constant obsession to get, get validation from people. And I think the second thing that we get to do is to, to rid ourselves from this obsession with stuff, with more money, more things. I think... Consumerism has basically been the Grinch that's stolen Christmas, in my view. I think we need to recognize the fact that even as the church, it's infiltrated the way that we think about Christmas, 
the very simple message that we got from that we from we were this uh, this height was that it's not about the gift it's about Jesus. I think if I look around me and I look in, in the malls and stuff and the Black Friday craziness and all of us just trying to hoard more stuff and I just think I, th- I think there's a little bit of renewal to be done in our in our hearts and our minds. But I think we need to re- realize firstly why that's the case. Why do we have why does stuff have such a big hook on us? And I think the reason is that if you look at the modern day way that something is advertised to us, it's not, people don't say to you, buy these Nike shoes, it's got the best cushioning and you will run so much faster. They, they don't sell the shoes to you, they sell a version of the shoes to you. They sell the active you to you. And you're like, yes, that's it. I, I'm not buying shoes, I'm buying a fitter Ischia. Um, by the way, I'm in for that. <laughs> but the, the, my, my point is, we all find identities, and then we hook getting more and more and more stuff into that. So I'm saying to us this morning that Christmas is an opportunity to step away from that reality and find our identity in something completely different so that we're not com- constantly sucked into this hoarding of more and more and more stuff, destroying our planet as we go on. We find, we find our identity in Christ. So as we, when we do those two things, we realize that our obsession with what other people um, think of us and say to us and our obsession with stuff is actually a little bit of an obsession with ourselves. And as I was saying earlier, sin is man curved in on himself. So there's an opportunity for us to, to lift our gaze away from ourselves. Christmas is that opportunity. But then to do that, we have to come to a place where we recognize that we, we desire something more than this world has to offer we have to come to that place. And I think it's actually the best gift that, that you can be given is if you, at this moment, and I think it's, it's kind of a, an easy one this year, this time of the year, to say, are you dissatisfied with your life? Are you, not, are you dissatisfied with who you are and what your reality is like? Usually you need a bit of um, almost intellectual gymnastics to convince people that they are in that place. I think it's pretty easy now, to convince ourselves we are not what we thought we, we are. Things are not as they are supposed to be. So we are not satisfied with this life. But then we need to lift our gaze to God, and he reveals himself to us. So the, the, the scripture that we read earlier is a picture of a God who wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal his glory to his people through the person of Jesus Christ. And what, is, what do we see when he reveals that? The Bible says that we see in Christ the full imprint of the nature of the Father. Hebrews tells us that. We see that uh, in other scriptures that the, 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 the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And so we start seeing that, as, John, uh, as uh, Tim Keller says, the incarnation in Christmas is the absolute becoming real, the invisible becoming visible. We are taken from a place where we don't have to worship this abstract idea of who God is. He's reduced for us to a person. And it's it's amazing because if you look at John, uh, the first chapter of John, it's super interesting to read, but it's super confusing because he says, in the beginning was the Word. We can understand that. In the beginning the Word was God. Cool. We understand that. And the Word was with God. 
and then it becomes confusing. How can the word be God and with God? How does that work? But if we think about the way that the, who God is, and a triune God that is where the, all three persons in the Godhead is God, and they are always together, it gives us a picture of where Christ comes from when he comes into this Christmas story, when he comes, he's born into the, the, the manger and he, uh, this humble setting, but you have to consider where he comes from to understand how humble that setting actually is. And also the fact that the Bible talks about Christ as the Word tells us that God has this desire to reveal himself to us. He's a gift that, yes, we didn't want or expect this gift, but it's a gift that is, it, it desires to be found. And the way that he comes, this humble setting, this gentle and lowly God comes to us because he wants to meet us at our gaze. He knows that we are not naturally people that look up and look ahead above our circumstances. We look at the here and now, and the, the way that he does that then is he comes as gentle and lowly, but he lifts our gaze as he, he shows himself as this glorious God that he is. So, then he, as we look to him, we see something of who, who God is. And what do we see? We see that God loves us. We don't, we don't only see that he loves us as an as objective fact. We also see that uh, the extent to which he loves us. John 15 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That tells us it's not only is Christ's love for us equal to the love that his Father has for him in the degree, but also in the nature. There's a sacrificial love that, that Christ has, that, that God has for us. And as I said earlier, another thing that is revealed to us is that God is both glorious and then gentle. What an, amazing, what an amazing thing to think about, that we have this only being that, that there ever was that is all-powerful and gentle at the same time. It's, it's such, a, such an amazing thought. But I think the, one of the most important things that the message of Christmas and the message of Christ, Christ with us, Emmanuel, what that tells us is that God is trustworthy. He says in, in, in a lot of scriptures, the prophets in the Old Testament points to the fact that God makes promises to his people, the promises that, that God made to Abraham. He fulfills that when, the day that Christ is born. He tells us that I can be trusted. Guys, I want to ask you, after a year like this, do you still trust God? When no one's looking, when you need to make decisions about your life, when you need to make a decision as to whether you're going to do the right or wrong thing, take matters into your own hands, do you still trust God? Because I think the message of Christmas tells us that we can trust Him. It also tells us that our relationship with God is not upheld by our commitment to him, because I think our commitment fluxes. It fluxes like government regulations. It's here the next day and there the next day. It's all over the place, our commitment. But God's promises are not like that. God's promises are eternal. God's promises are rooted in the person that he is. Who is the person of God? He's always been the same. In a year where we don't even know, we need to go to Namibia on Wednesday to see my family, we still don't read. There's something in me that still thinks this thing might be derailed. Life is completely all over the place at the moment. We've had COVID definitely once, maybe twice. 
it's been very disruptive, but we have an anchor. We have an anchor in God, and if the promises that He made for us, it becomes real in Christmas. And then the message that this is the good news of great joy becomes important because I think if we are honest with ourselves, we sometimes miss the fact that Christmas is really about the person of God. It's not primarily a message about Jesus seeing a bunch of people that are in trouble, coming to be with them, showing them a better way, and then giving them salvation so that they don't go to hell. That is part of the story. But ultimately, the the whole purpose of everything and all of this, and us coming to church every Sunday, sort of, at the moment, the purpose of all of this is the person of God. He wants to reconcile us with Him. He wants to, that fellowship that was broken when we sinned, when we turned things into, onto ourselves, He wants to restore that fellowship into love for the other again. He wants to restore things to how they were, were and always have been between the Godhead, eternal fellowship. He wants to, inst- uh, he wants to restore that. And so we, we see that Christmas is ultimately God revealing himself to us, God revealing his glory to us, and us not only seeing that as an objective fact, but us enjoying that glory. Um, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite theologians, he, sa- he says the big watershed moment of his life was when he stopped seeing the supremacy of God, the fact that God is over all things, when he stopped seeing that as a, a reality that he has to accept, but he started seeing it as the best thing that he could ever come, come across in his life. For him, that sort of Rubicon moment of saying, not saying, God, you are in control, I accept that, but thank goodness, God, you are in control. Thank goodness you are supreme over all things. When he gets to that moment, his heart changes forever. And I think the, the great thing is about that is how often this year have you been frustrated with people that are over leadership, in leadership over you in different contexts? And you have to go through this thing of um, don't respect the, pe- the person. If you can't respect the person, at least respect the position. That is not how we love God. We don't love God by saying, oh, yeah, you are in control. I'll just accept that. I'll accept the fact that you're the, 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 the one in the chair. That's not how it works. We get to rejoice in the fact that He is the God that is controlled. Why do we do that? Because we can trust Him. He's shown us that He's a leader. He's a God that is above all things, but also that He can be trusted. And so we, we can go into the next year not putting our hope on the fact that the, the, the zero at the end of the calendar will become a one and somehow COVID will just be, be gone. Because I think... I was also at that place sometime this year where I, where I th- thought, Yo, but okay, we, we have a tough year, but my five-year plan is to see, to see 31 December 20, 20, 2020. That's my five-year plan because this year feels like it's been a decade. But the reality is that things are not magically going to be different at the end of this year. We have to face that reality. We have to ground ourselves in that. We cannot... We cannot afford to go into this Christmas time and taking our minds away from stuff and even, even a nice fluffy holiday where we just get to remove ourselves from reality a little bit because it's been tough and then 
coming back to January, even that might be devastating to us because we need to face the fact that things are going to be difficult next year. We need to frame ourselves and prepare ourselves for that. But this gospel speaks to reality. This gospel doesn't speak to people that are putting their hopes in all sorts of other things. And that's what I want to implore us to do today. I want to implore us to lift our gaze, lift our gaze towards Christ, lift our gaze towards what did he do for us on the cross. He, he, his work on the cross means that all the things that I said earlier about life being meaningless and everything going to, to um, everything being basically, there being no point to anything, the, the reality is that the work of the cross redeems everything. All things are redeemed. So the things that you are seeing in your life as good, that you are trying desperately to hold on to and thinking, oh, these things are slipping through my fingers. I'm not able to see my family. Relationships are in a weird place. My work, what, what's going on? The good things in your life that you feel, these things are slipping out of, of, out of my fingers. The redemptive work on the cross redeems that. And you don't have to. You don't have to fear that the good things in your life are lost. They are being redeemed. And the bad things in your life, the things that you know shouldn't be the way that they are, they don't have to stay that way. And so we have this opportunity to repent. That's the amazing thing about the cross, is we get to come exactly as we are, and we repent. We, we say, God, this year I've really tried to find my praises in, other, in what other people tell me. I've really tried to find hope in stuff and circumstances changing. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to lift my gaze to you because you have revealed yourself to us through your son, through the message of Christmas. Thank you for that. I lift my gaze towards you. I put my hope in you once again. That is what we are called to today, and I, I hope that in faith we can respond in this way. So I'm going to ask the, the band to come up now, and they're going to play a song for us. But we're not going to sing together. I just want us to reflect on where we are and what this year has been all about. I think with all the craziness that this year has been, a moment of quiet reflection is maybe a good way to prepare ourselves for what the few, next few months are going to be like. Don't feel like you need to do anything special right now. Just sit and reflect on who you are. Reflect on what your relationship with the person of Christ is at, at this moment. And... Yeah, just reflect on that and then I'll lead us in a time of communion after that.